Thank you, worship team, helping us sing. Praise the Lord. Uh, just to continue our worship, we want to open up God's Word together. So uh, I'm going to be dancing all over the Bible today. So would you join the dance? Uh, start with me in Romans chapter 4. Uh, we will also spend some time in the book of Hebrews. We'll spend some time in Genesis. So having your own Bible along for the ride will help you. Uh, we have been in the book of Romans uh, for many weeks now, and we're really getting to the end of one of the first sections. So uh, the, the, the section we're in actually began in, in Romans 1.18. Uh, the introduction was verses uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul introduces that he, he's writing a letter to first century Christians in Rome. Uh, he's never met them in person. He's hoping to get to them. Uh, but he is aware of a church that needs to be reminded of the truths of Christianity. Uh, and and that one of the short ways that Christians summarize those truths is we use the term the gospel or the good news, the glad tidings. And uh, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he, he has begun explaining the good news, the gospel, from 118. And he'll close the first major section uh, in chapter 4, verse 25 today. And then next week, we'll start a new section that starts with therefore. Right? So in light of what we've learned in 118 through 425, you come back next week to learn some, what it's there for. But today, we have to deal with uh, a su- some subject matters that are confusing. Um, uh, just, I was thinking a couple months ago, I, I pulled out this, I have this ratchet strap that is so like tangled it's like tied in the mechanism there's knots in the in the ratchet strap and so i sat down two or three months ago and i spent about an hour trying to get this ratchet strap untangled and after about 45 minutes i just gave up about a month later i handed it to my my much more patient firstborn son samuel and he gave a good 30 to 45 minutes and then he gave up and so eventually i'm just gonna have to cut the actual strap out and get and, and go on my way uh, today I want us to try to untangle two of maybe the most important words that you find in the Bible. Uh, they, get, they get tied in together, and sometimes we don't know what they are, but I don't want us to cut out either one. And those words are faith and blessing. I mean, these are huge words for Christians. Uh, and you'd think we understand what these terms mean, because if you walk through Hobby Lobby... These words are everywhere. Here's some pictures of some knickknacks you could consider to, to purchase for your home. And these terms, blessed and faith and believe, they're everywhere. And yet we need to actually untangle what these terms mean. And the, we, the reason we do is because these are precious words, precious truths. And, and you, you may be going through the hardest season of your life. And you may have people saying, well, I thought God blesses Christians. Where's your hashtag blessed today? You know, maybe you, you have to be the one sitting in the chair in this season of your life once a week where they pump chemotherapy into your arm. Or maybe you're the one that has to sit in the chair beside the chair. And you're like, this doesn't feel blessed. Um, maybe you have a You've been praying for the same thing, same person for many decades. 
and there's this little voice that's either in the back of your own mind or maybe it's whispered from the devil himself, where's your faith now? So these terms, faith and blessing, they need to be understood because you, you need your own heart to have a, have a firm grasp of what these terms mean. But you also need to be able to communicate what these words actually mean for people who are looking for faith and looking for blessing. I want to read to you the entire passage that we're going to look at. We'll look at most of these sentences, not all. And then we'll begin to try to untangle what, what the Apostle Paul is saying about faith and blessing. And to untangle that, we'll use other places in Scripture. Here now, the passage uh, to which we'll give attention this morning. This is Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 25. Paul begins by saying, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Well, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Well, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God, that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is God's word. All right, so let, how do faith and blessing, how do they work together? What, what do these terms mean? Uh, what do they mean for Abraham, but also what do they mean for us today? Uh, here's my main idea. It's quite simple. It's simply that those who have faith in Abraham's God receive Abraham's blessing. That's not as simple as you think. Those who have faith in Abraham's God receive Abraham's blessing. So two main items we've got to talk. What is Abraham's blessing? 
What does it mean to have faith in Abraham's God? So let's first, let's talk about this complicated idea of blessing. Uh, You hear that word in verse 9. Paul asks the question, is this blessing? Is it just for the circumcised or is it also for the uncircumcised? You also get a taste of how, how big of a blessing are we talking about when you look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Abraham received a promise that he would be heir of the world. So get your mind about how big of a blessing we're talking about. The blessing that God gave to Abraham is he would be an heir of the world. He would inherit the world. Um, but what is blessing? Uh, I want you to think about some uh, maybe modern versions of what does it look like to be blessed? For example, let's say you went to or read about a pride parade in June. Uh, in many ways, these events are, de- are designed to convey a communal blessing on like LGBTQ people. It's an event that says you are part of an amazing community. You're a fine, good, and wonderful person. You matter, and let's help one another. You might say that that might be an example of a blessing, uh, maybe from the political or kind of societal left. But guess what? There's, I want you to hear about one that maybe comes from more of a right side type of blessing. And that's when I read about this year's annual meeting of the National Rifle Association. This is from their website. It says, thank you to the 77,246 patriots who came out to the 2023 NRA annual meetings and exhibits in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana, excuse me. Listen to what what they said. To support the NRA, to defend the second, and enjoy their American uh, freedom. Now, I want you to catch, if you heard, there's similarities between their statements and the Pride Parade sentiments. You are part of an amazing community. You're a good and wonderful person. You matter. You are helping our nation. Do you see the similarities? Now, despite these two, being, two events being quite different, they're longing for a similar sort of thing. They want to be blessed and be a blessing. These cravings are what make humans human, right? And the Bible has a lot to say about blessing, more than I can address today. Uh, but let me share with you what Paul is talking about in Romans 4 by realizing that this goes all the way back to the beginning of the Scriptures, Blessing goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible that God created in the earliest pages of the Bible. We realize that God created humanity and he put them in a beautiful world. So we have amazing people put in a beautiful world and God blesses them. And he says, you are like me. You are like me. And so I want you to go and do things like me. Be fruitful and, and and multiply. But just as soon as God creates humanity, they fail. Uh, they, they go off script. They don't, they don't be who God has made them to be. They reject the place God gives them. They run a follow to God's plan. They become corrupted. They lose part of their dignity and they go astray from their original purpose. Now, if you then pick up your Bible this week, I encourage you to do this. Read it from Genesis 3 to the end of Genesis 11. And what you're going to read is just the unraveling of all that God intended in Genesis 1 and 2. 
the human desi- desires become corrupt. Behavior gets destructive. When they put themselves to do a good work, they actually are, their good work is to make a name for themselves rather than to live for the name of God. And at the end of Genesis 11, humanity is under this worldwide curse. They're dispersed. They're broken. They're They're sinners. There seems to be no hope for the world. And then you turn the page, though, and God says, but I'm still going to work in this broken world. So again, if you have a Bible, listen, listen to the change that happens in Genesis 12. The Lord comes to a man named Abram. Later, his name is changed to Abraham. But it says, the Lord said to Abraham, he says, go from your country, your people, in your father's household to the land I will show you. So there's this invitation. You have to abandon where you've been trying to find your identity, your community, your sense of purpose. I know you need to go. Notice what he says, though. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So notice what God's doing. The entire world is cursed. There's brokenness. There's disunity. He comes to one man, and he says, I'm bringing the blessing back. I'm finding a way to bring light into the darkness. And it starts with this man, Abram, to be Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. That's that idea of you will be part of an amazing community. He says, I will bless you. This is a promise of deep internal value and external value, internal peace, external peace. He says, I will make your name great. You will enjoy profound personal significance. And then he says, and you will be a blessing. How big of a blessing? I will... Bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. Abraham, through you, you have the most meaningful work in the world. Now, for a Jewish person and a Christian person, this is the definition of blessing. Anything less than this type of blessing is less than what God has in mind at the beginning of creation and in his work of redemption through Abraham. It, this is what we long for, and this is what we crave. And that is why, to no surprise, whether it's the NRA or a pride parade, people are trying to offer some sort of blessing like this. But note well what God is saying in Genesis 12. This is the, and it says, Abraham is the key. He is the only key. But you can't experience God's blessing apart from the promises made to Abraham. It's nowhere else. You have to be a part of his community. You have to know his God. You have to experience his blessing. All the blessings, all the curses really ride on what you do with this promise made to Abraham. And that means membership in the NRA or the LGBTQ cannot and will not bring the blessing God requires. Now what, so again, start thinking about what is God's blessing? Right? This is God's inheritance for all those who will have a right relationship with him. He comes to one man and he says, I'm going to bless you. There's terms for this. It's an unconditional promise. It's unconditional grace. It's unconditional election. All these things for Abraham. 
And it's, this is the blessing. It's through Abraham. If you know his God, if you know this promise, if you trust this God, it will be yours. But you have to believe in him. And so we've got to talk about what is faith. Like, how do I then believe in this God of Abraham so that I can be a part of this worldwide blessing, to be an heir of the world? So let's answer three questions about faith back in Romans 4. First, what is it? Second, why is it valuable? And then third, how does it work today? So first question, what is faith? What is faith? Now, I gave you a definition a couple weeks ago. It's one that I appreciate. It comes out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's summarized well in the New City Catechism. And it says, this is the definition. Faith is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. It's a definition. It's resting and receiving on Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. But Romans 4 actually doesn't give us a definition. It gives us a demonstration. How does Abraham demonstrate faith? Therefore, how do we have a faith like Abraham? What do we learn about Abraham's faith? If you're taking notes, this is what I see. Faith is unwavering trust in God's character and power. That's what Abraham demonstrates. It's unwavering trust in God's character and power. So let's, let's give a little bit of historical context. I read to you Genesis 12. A lot of scholars uh, speculate that that promise of Abraham came to him sometime when he was around 75 years of age. And his wife was a perky 65. She must have been perky because the Bible says she was still beautiful at that age. Now, in Romans 4, it actually quotes from Genesis 15, which is 10 years later. So Genesis 15, that makes Abraham 85. It makes Sarah 75. So you have an aging Abraham and his aging wife Sarah. They're all by themselves. 10 years later in a foreign land, still in an empty house. Ten years earlier, God appeared to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have this huge family. And I have to assume Abraham and Sarah were chatting because Sarah was barren. And they said, what do we got to lose? This God has come, spoke to me. He says, go, let's go. What do we have to lose? And so they they travel. They obey God. They they take that, that trip. And I bet... Those 10 years were uh, an interesting experience. Because I bet in the first year, two, three, you got Abraham. Maybe he, maybe he hand-carved a nice baby crib. Maybe Sarah has been knitting booties. But one year goes to two years. Two years goes to five years. Like, what, where is their faith now? Ten years later, we obeyed God. He's made this promise of blessing Sarah now has like 72 pairs of booties knitted. No kid. Abraham went ahead and crafted another crib. They got two cribs, no babies. And you have to wonder, if you read in Genesis 12, wherever Abraham went, he actually built an altar and he worshiped the Lord, which is one of the beautiful stories. 
you have to wonder if the neighbors are sniggering. Where's that guy's faith now? You know, when we have the, family, or the community-wise potlucks around the bonfires, he talks about being blessed of God. Sarah even made a little thing above the house that said, Blessed. She's thinking about opening a box store and selling a bunch of knickknacks that say, Blessed. And believe. Ten years. No kid. In fact, ten years... No land. They don't get land until Genesis 23. That's a different sermon for a different day. No land. No baby. Where's the blessing? And then God shows up again. And you can turn back in your Bibles to Genesis 15. This is the passage quoted in Romans 4. But let's read it from the beginning. Genesis 15. Ten years later. It says, after this. So. After this, this includes a famine. It includes a separation from his nephew Lot. It's a rescue mission for his nephew Lot. A lot of things have happened. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Notice verse 2, though. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household, he's going to be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. It says he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. By the way, there's no light pollution at this time in history. When he looks up and he sees stars, there's a lot of stars. God says, look up, count the stars. God says, so shall your offspring be. And Abram, Ham, Abram believed the Lord, verse 6. And he credited to him as righteousness. Years have passed, but God's promise has not changed. Even, even though we can read here in Genesis 15, Abram has his doubts. He does have his questions. He has his concerns. It says he believes God. And God credits this as righteousness, right? This expression credits as righteousness is key. Whoever trusts God and his promises, God counts as deserving of the blessing. They will get the blessing. We talked about this last week and the week before. To be reckoned righteous righteous is to be recognized as someone a part of God's amazing community. These are the ones who possess internal value and peace. These are the ones who God will allow to enjoy deep personal significance. They are the ones who are recognized as God's meaningful workers in the world. Now come back to Romans 4, because now we're going we're gonna to understand more about what is faith. In 16, right, talks about the promise comes by faith, so that it is by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. 
That's such good news. It says, he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. By the way, what it says that God, that Abraham is our father, that means you're one of the stars that Abraham saw when he looked up into the sky. That was you. That was me. That's God. You're the answer to the promise God made to Abraham. But verse 18 is interesting. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Now I want you to observe what faith is not. Faith is not coping. Faith is not thinking it. Or fake, or faith, faith is not like positive thinking. It's not faking it until you make it. It's not imagining a better future for yourself. It's not putting good vibes into the universe. Like that is not what faith is. What, what it says here in verse 19, it says, Abraham faced the fact that his body was dead. Like that's a euphemism for impotence. His body was dead. There wasn't... Things weren't working. He's, he's fallen apart. And then it says, and Sarah's womb was as good as dead. Like, she had long quit taking care of herself on a monthly basis. So I just want you to catch that. Like, Abraham is not some fool. He's looking at reality and saying, yep, my body's shot and so's my wife's. It says, but then he looked at God, and he still believed in God. One pastor explains it this way. He says, faith is trust in God and his promises despite our circumstances and the evidence to the contrary. Here again, our definition of faith. Faith is unwavering trust in God's character and power. Verse 20, it says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham has faith in God's faithfulness. He has faith in God's omnipotence. That is, he can do anything. With faith, Abraham knew that the God of the Bible brings stuff out of nothing. Right? Did you catch that in verse 17? He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Like he knows that there was nothing in the universe and God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was landmass. God spoke and there were cheetahs. God spoke and there were hummingbirds. He brings stuff out of nothing. And so to look at his dried up body and his dried up wife, he's like, we'll be okay. Because God can bring something out of nothing. And he believes. Notice also that Abraham's faith is not a flash in the pan. This is at least a a decade-old faith. It matures with time. He's not going to have another... He's actually not going to have a child for about 15 more years. 
He's going to wait longer for God to fulfill his promise to bring him a son in the name of Isaac. And yet his faith persisted and it persevered in the face of long suffering and waiting. That's what faith is. Faith is an unwavering trust in God's character and power. So can I probe just a bit in your own heart? How's your faith? Uh, Let's just zoom in like on high school students. Do you believe in God's goodness and his character? Do you trust the wisdom and truth of God's scriptures? Do you trust in God's presence when you walk through the halls? Do you believe that he will hold you in your hardest moment? Do you believe that he will forgive you for your worst moments? Learn from Abraham. God always keeps his promises. And along the way, his people have this unwavering trust in God's character and power. Which brings me to my second question. Why then does God find this valuable? Maybe you can already see it, but let's dig in. First, remember from weeks past that rituals and rule-keeping are worthless compared to faith. So what is it about faith that pleases God? Why is faith God's chosen instrument to make people righteous and recipients of his blessing? And here's, I think, the answer is that that faith honors God for all of his amazing goodness and power. Faith honors God, you could say, for all of his godness. Right? Faith honors God for all that he is. Right? Belief in God means I'm no longer trusting in myself for a blessing. Belief in God means I'm not looking to, to rituals or rules to put me in the right. Faith says, I want, I want God in the community. He wants to provide by trusting in him and not find some sort of false community. Faith says my only hope and the only possibility and only certainty in my life is that he will show up at just the right moments because he is good and because he is powerful. He will show up. And this pleases him. It honors him for you to trust him. That's why it's, it's credited. This is a good thing. This is a wonderful thing. Uh, if you turn now in your, in your Bible to one of the most famous chapters on faith, it's Hebrews 11. I just want you to listen you can read along as God talks about faith to us through this writer. Verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance, but what we do not see. It says, This is what the ancients were commended for. God commends faith. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. If you uh, jump down to verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our faith pleases God. What does faith look like? Faith believes he exists and that he is the character of God is he rewards those who seek him. He is a giver of good gifts. He takes care of his children. He's the father who gives good gifts. Listen to the, to the, the writer of Hebrews' summary of Abraham's life in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Listen to verse 13 about faith. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If, uh, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Listen to this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God commends faith. He's not ashamed of people who put their trust in him. This pleases him. I want you to, to imagine my house. Some of you have been to my home. If you haven't, looks like a lot of houses. It's a blue house. Uh, now I want you to imagine my house on fire. Picture my blue house going up in flames. Smoke billowing out of every corner. And charity is trapped inside. And the fire has broken out outside her door by our bathroom upstairs. And the only thing that she can do is she can crawl out of the window of her bedroom and get to this place in the house where she'll have about a nine-foot drop. I want you to imagine me at the bottom, right? Charity, you're going to have to jump. You know, and what's she going to say? I don't know, Daddy. And I'm going to be like, okay, I have lifted weights for 25 years for this moment. (laughs) And I love you. I need you to jump. It would please me. It would honor me if that girl would jump. Now, I'm not an imaginary fairy at the bottom saying, you know, I mean, she's not imagining happy thoughts at the bottom of the the ground to catch her. She's not picturing a strong elf come, come from Middle Earth to save her from the fire. I'm the real caring father. Saying, come and jump. And this is what faith is, is we begin to believe in the real God, written in the real scriptures that lives in this real world. And he says, trust my power, trust my character, and jump. And that pleases God. And it says that he credits that such faith as righteousness. I, he's honored. It pleases him. Consider this story also from a while back. Listen to this. The children are dressed and ready for school. But there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informs uh, a man named George Mueller. And George asked her to take the 300 children in the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanks God for the food and he waits. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. 
it was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. True story. This is what George Mueller writes about faith. He says, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. What is faith? Faith is unwavering trust in God's character and power. And why is faith valuable to God? It's because faith honors God for all of his amazing goodness and power. Your faith amid cancer honors God. Your faith through grief and depression honors God. Your faith through temptation honors God. Your faith in God's word honors God. And your faith in God and in God alone to save you honors God. So that leads me to the last question that we come to in Romans 4. How does faith work today? How does it work today? Now remember, those who have faith in Abraham's God receive Abraham's blessing. And that God's inheritance are for all those who are in a right relationship with him. And Paul gets very clear on answering this question, how does faith work today? In that last section, verses 23 through 25 in Romans 4. Verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone. Sometimes Paul is just super clear. Those words for Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness. They're not just for him. Verse 24, but also for us. By the way, this is one of the marvelous changes in the book of Romans. You can, he, we, we will start talking about we and us henceforth in the book of Romans. It's been they and those. Now it's us. It's we. Us. Those who believe this news, it's written for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Faith works today when we put our trust in the God who raised our crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Those who believe are credited as righteousness. Those who believe will share in Abraham's blessing. Now, this, this, remember I mentioned that this is the end of a section Paul started back in Romans 1. And this is what's important. You guys remember how Romans 1 verses 18 through 23, 24 starts? Paul talks about that God's wrath is being revealed against the world. Why? Because instead of turning and seeing the creator God in all of his mercy and grandeur and bowing and worship to him, we have, instead of worshiping our creator, we have begun to worship created things. We've even begun to build idols and bow down to them. Right? So the, the greatest problem in humanity is not sickness or war. No, it's our, it's our God-hating rejection of him. We love created objects more than the creator. We, we love to bow down to our idols. That's what ripped Adam and Eve out of the garden. And this is what causes us to jump from one party or parade to another, or from one association to addiction to another. We crave a blessing, but we can't get it. But what, what, what has been demonstrated by Paul this far, far is, but Jesus can, right? Jesus can get the blessing. Jesus Christ, think about this. He's the height of God's revelation about God's good character and God's great power. Jesus is the answer to how good is God. He would send his son. How powerful is God? Well, watch Jesus work. He walks on water. He heals the leper. He feeds the hungry. 
Jesus is fully God and yet fully man. Jesus lives this perfect life, maintaining constant intimacy and communion with his Father. You watch Jesus labor. He has this matchless peace. He walks with perfect significance, and he completes the Father's work. But instead of immediately getting a blessing for such an amazing life, the Bible tells us he takes our curse. That's what it means that Jesus died for our sins. Or as it says here in Romans 4, he was delivered over for our sins. Now, if Jesus only stayed dead, I think he, you know, you'd still bring him up in history books and kind of clap at him for being a merciful, good teacher. Um, but no one would have any hope. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Jesus rises victorious over the greatest curse of death. It shows that Jesus has defeated the judgment of God, even. He's taken it on himself. This is how. Uh, Jesus can now fulfill the promises made to Abraham that all nations can now be blessed through this son of Abraham. And Paul says in Romans 4, this is what we're to believe. We're to believe in the same God of Abraham. Do you remember the God that Abraham believed in? The one who could bring something out of nothing. And the God has power over dead things, whether it's wombs or in this case, actual death. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. I mean, think about Jesus' own life. Like, you know, Isaac is going to come through Sarah's womb. Jesus comes through Mary's womb. There was no active agent to participate in, uh, in Jesus' arrival in Mary's womb. It, came, it was something out of nothing. But that's nothing in comparison to the defeat of death. That when Jesus rises, triumphing over death, he says, the greatest curse has been defeated. I really can give you all that's been lost in the garden. I really love how a scholar named N.T. Wright conveys the significance of Jesus' resurrection. Listen to what he says about faith. He says, Faith in the resurrection power of God, according to Paul, is the alternative reality to idolatry. It assigns the creator God the power and glory which are properly his the very things that idolatry characteristically denies and by denying courts death. So Jesus' resurrection is his triumph over death, evil, and even nothingness. He defeated it all. (laughs) And therefore, our faith is a triumph over idolatry. It becomes our embrace of God. Just two thoughts as we end. First, know that when we're talking about faith, this is an actual personal trust in God, right? This isn't trusting doctrinal truths. Doctrine helps us, but doctrine doesn't save us. Doctrine introduces us to God, and then we trust in the God that we've been introduced to. I was reading this week about a bishop uh, who lived in the 18th century. His name was Bishop Butler. Uh, he, this is what one writer says about him. He is remembered for a profound and yet lucid reasoning in his book called The Analogy of Natural and Revealed Religion. The writer goes on to say, His belief, however, was more of the head than the heart. And when he lay dying, he was in distress of soul. He said to a chaplain, he says that notwithstanding his efforts to live a good life, he was afraid to die. And the chaplain said, My Lord, you have forgotten that Jesus Christ is a Savior. True was the bishop's answer, but how shall I know that he is a Savior for me? 
And the chaplain said, My Lord, it is written. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. It is written. Jesus has said, those who come to me will not be cast out. And finally, the bishop says, true. I am surprised that though I have read that scripture a thousand times over, I never felt its virtue virtue, till this moment. And now I die happy. There's a, there's a point where something God has written, the truth of scripture, they get to your head and your heart and you trust and you can die happy. So trust him personally. And then I, I do also just pray with you that those of you who are in one of these seasons, whether it's a season of chemotherapy, uh, a, a season of depression and sorrow, that you would know that the God who has made promises will be found faithful, that you can be persuaded even when all that you can see is death and brokenness and waiting, that you would be persuaded that the God who has made his promise will be found faithful. And when you doubt, remember Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And you honor God by pressing on in faith. You honor him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the hope that is held out to all who believe. Abraham believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. Now those of us who believe in the crucified and risen Savior, we too will be credited righteous. We too will inherit the blessing of the world. It's not this country. It's the foreign country. We're looking forward to it. You will bring it at your return, Lord Jesus. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. But as, as we wait, we pray that we would be found faithful. Thank you that your promises are true. Thank you that we can take that to the bank as we remember the cross, even now in our communion. But even more so that our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All glory be to Christ. Amen.